in the backup audio is just me shouting across the room. <laughs> that would be a bummer. Hey everyone, happy to be back with you again. So this episode, as you can kind of hear, was actually recorded live. Um, Kendrick, his wife Stacy, and I all recorded this episode. And unfortunately, there was basically about everything that could have gone wrong with the audio did go wrong. And so I do apologize in advance for the audio quality of this episode. We've worked really hard on trying to make it as good as it can be. But basically, our two main devices failed, and we were left with a backup device that was a phone recording through a GoPro camera. Yada, yada, yada. You guys don't want to hear excuses. I'm just letting you know. I do apologize. I I understand what you are where you are coming from and everything. And I hope that the hard work that has been put into the conversation and the the research and everything before we did the episode is still enjoyable and that you guys enjoy the the conversation and the banter and everything that came out of this episode. So thank you everybody. I uh, just wanted to give you a heads up in advance. Enjoy the episode. Oh, you know what? Dang it. Chicken butt. I haven't rated or ranked this movie. The fact oh, that you yeah. can't drink before this makes so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Sometimes. Sometimes when I come straight from work, I don't. Because yeah, I, mean, I don't want a lot work. of like liquid noises to edit out. A lot of like... <laughs> <laughs> you have enough. <laughs> yeah. I, smack my, I smack my big lips a lot. Every time I'll go through there, I will contemplate just... <laughs> copying all of your lip smackings and then putting them all in at oh, the end no. so it's just like <laughs> just gross gross Kendra Samar I don't know gross um gross wait ooh ASM Martin ASM Martin <laughs> <laughs> I'm your podcast host Josh Carter with me as always is ASM Martin <laughs> you're hey, recording up, this right this could be like some uh, bloopers <laughs> yeah you have no idea how many bloopers we like have. Like some episodes will either be like, "Wow, we have nothing good for a cold open. We're just gonna play the intro," and then other ones were like, "I have forty five minutes of cold open, and then we have twenty minutes of actual podcast. How are we gonna make this work?" To get together, have a few laughs. Uh oh, shit, lady! Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Wait, put the freaking gun down on the ground right now. Take your shot across the freaking street and say that until we come get Hello and welcome to Where There's a Willis, There's a Way, a film podcast about the multitude of works by Bruce Willis. My name is Josh Carter. And I'm Kendrick Martin. Today we'll be covering Die Hard with a Vengeance, directed by... John McTiernan. And written by... Jonathan Hensley. Rit... Rut... Rit... <laughs> Roderick Thorpe. I can't see with my mic in the way, so I had to like do this. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, what we do here is an in-depth breakdown of a movie starring Bruce Willis, both from a film perspective and his individual contribution. We add the movie to our rankings, talk trivia, and do the Wheel of Willis. I'm really excited because this week, joining us, is Stacy Martin. Stacy, how are you doing today? But we share a last name. Oh, you're right. Uh, Stacy is my wife. And not only is she my wife, but she's recording with me on the same microphone. Exciting. Yeah. And now I am too. And 
<laughs> Josh had to reach around his own microphone. He gave, he gave his microphone a reach around. He reached around to talk to me because we're recording together today. Live from Portland, Oregon. It's Sunday night. Hashtag get vaccinated. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, um... The oh. CDC actually just announced that if you're vaccinated, you can record podcasts in the same room together. <laughs> the CDC now recommends recording podcasts maskless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the new policy. Before, we had to wear a mask while we were recording because yeah. we didn't want to give each other a computer version of the coronavirus. Yeah, so. that's the worst version. Yeah, it is. It is. <clears throat> Your computer is definitely symptomatic the moment you get it. You can find our previous episodes at williswaypod.com. Find other podcasts in the Last of the Action Heroes podcast network over at lastoftheactionheroes.com. Please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. Tell your friends, your cats, your cat's friends. Everybody loves Bruce. Also, if you guys are interested in other podcasts kind of like ours, we just had another podcast join our Last of the Action Heroes podcast network. They are an Arnold Schwarzenegger and Arnold Schwarzenegger adjacent podcast. I was listening to their episode on Running Man today, their part one, and I really enjoyed it. I forgot about how much I I enjoy loving that movie despite how bad it is. So go give them a listen and then um, tell them that we sent you, although that's not how podcasts work because you cannot travel back in time to that episode, but, you know, send them your good vibes. I've actually never seen Running Man. Oh, you haven't? No. It's great. Um, it also gave me my worst improv suggestion of all time because I got up in front of a crowd and I was like, Hey everybody. And they're like, Hey, and I was like, I really love eighties movies. And I just watched the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, the running man. What's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that doesn't, that didn't ever get made. And then the audience was like dead silent. And then some other improver was like the walking man. And then I was a moron and I took that suggestion and then it was a scene about people walking and it was like. It's a prequel Fucking to The Walking Dead, me. <laughs> Yeah, it starts with one walking man, yeah, one walking old man. Yeah, and he's alive. <laughs> uh, one dead man, and then... Stacy, do you have a favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? Oh, jeez. We, we talked about this last week. As an Oregonian, I feel obligated to say Kindergarten Cop. So I was homeschooled, so I'm not obligated to say that. It's not a tool Uh... That was a pretty good Arnold impression. Um, ten out of ten. <laughs> it's because you're that's the Oregonian accent, I assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I <clears throat> don't think I've seen Kindergarten Cop either. Wow, you haven't seen Kindergarten Cop? No. I well, not an Oregonian. I wasn't. It wasn't a school requirement for me. <laughs> Have you seen all the Kansas movies though? Yeah. Well. Some, because I'm not from Kansas, Josh. I'm from Missouri. Missouri. Fucking... Okay, but you lived in Kansas City, right? Missouri? Ugh. <laughs> Why do they call it Kansas City then? Do they just not know how to spell Missouri City? And they're like, yeah, that name's good enough yeah. for us. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> if you knew your history... <laughs> I don't. I was homeschooled. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fair. Uh, Stacey actually just went to Kansas City for the first time. Mm-hmm. We went, like, three weeks ago. She went to Kansas and Missouri. Wow. Yeah. Did you guys see any uh, dust storms or um, people nope. riding horses or... Nope. Um, any... Uh, They'll have telephones there now. <laughs> they do. Yeah. They, they still listen to the phonograph. Yep. 
Yeah. They, I, I sent my mom and dad a telegram that I was coming. I put this podcast on uh, Wax Disc and send it to them. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a lot of work, but it's yeah. worth it. And then you had to write on there, spin at 38 RPMs. Yep, yep exactly. <laughs> Before we talk about this movie today, we usually like to give you an idea if this movie is worth watching. And... That way you can know if you want to watch the movie before listening to the podcast or just listen to the podcast and live live the movie through us talking about the movie. Which, honestly, some Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis movies are worth doing that with. So each week we rate a movie, a Bruce Willis out of a Bruce Willis. Joshua, what would you rank this movie? So Bruce Willis scene out of a Bruce Willis scene is about how much we recommend this based on Bruce himself. <clears throat> so I'm not saying this is like the best movie ever, um, but I'm going to give this movie a, a Bruce will with full L's. Um, so I, I think that if you're a big Bruce Willis fan, it's a good watch. So I, I'd, I'd recommend it. Stacy, this is your first podcast episode with us. So I don't know if you're used to the Bruce Willis rating scheme. But do you know what you would rank this movie? A Bruce Willis out of Bruce Willis? Yeah, I think I want to say not only because I think Willie sounds fun, but because this might be one of my favorite Bruce Willis movies. For nostalgic reasons, I'm going to give it the Bruce Willie. Wow. I think that's our highest rating as far as uh, on the Bruce scale goes. We, I don't think we've ever given a movie. We have a Bruce not given Willie. a movie a Bruce Willis. Oh no, you you gave a. We both gave Pulp Fiction a Bruce Willie. Yeah, so that's tied now. I'm saving my full Bruce Willis for his very. You're saving movie. your full Bruce Willis for marriage. <laughs> <laughs> if you give away your Bruce Willis too soon, you can never get that back. <laughs> I mean, that would definitely be giving your Bruce Willie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one of you that has seen this movie before <laughs> now, right? Yeah, I had I had seen this movie before. I, did, I hadn't even heard about this movie before. No, I'm just kidding. I definitely had. Um, but, uh, yeah. When did you first watch this? Oh, gosh. I was trying to think about that. I mean, when this movie came out, like, I'm, I don't know if you can date yourself when you're, you know, 32. But, uh, I mean, when this movie came out, I would have been six. And knowing my childhood, I probably watched it when I was around that age. For the what? So. Did you see it in the movie theater? No. We did not really go to the theater. Um, one thing we don't do here on the Bruce Willis podcast called Whether the Willis Throws Away is talk about ratings. And by that, I mean like the MPAA ratings. This movie's rated R. Um, and I haven't followed other Die Hard movies, but I would assume they're all rated R, right? Uh, no. One of them's rated PG-13. I think the next one is... Oh, I meant the ones we've done so far. Oh, yeah. All the ones we've done so far are rated R. Yeah. Yep. I think the blood, not the language, it's probably the language um, that would do it more than anything else. Because I was like, it wasn't yeah. especially violent. I mean, there were some violent scenes in this movie. Well, but... apparently they had to cut around a lot of the violent scenes because it originally got like an NC-17 rating. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which I would love to have seen a more violent version of this because... They uh they really wait a long time to get any kills going, and then once they do, they're pretty badass, so, mm-hmm. yeah. But before we get into talking about this movie in depth, we have a couple other things we want to take care of. So, if you want to email us, 
You can send us an email at williswaypod at gmail.com, or you can tweet to us on Twitter at williswaypod. There's also the Last of the Action Heroes Facebook page. If you prefer Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg both reading all your information, that is a welcome thing you're able to do. But we have a couple emails to get to. The first one comes from Nathan. Josh, you want to read this email from Nathan? He wrote, Josh and Kendrick, I hope you enjoyed watching Die Hard with a Vengeance. I most certainly did, though my bar is rather low. My bar is rather lower than most folks. It's not a movie I'd call good, but it has such a dumb, fun energy to it that I can't help but smile when watching it. My favorite parts of it were Samuel Jackson's character, who I believe was introduced to add the, quote, naive protagonist, end quote, angle that John McClane did not have at this point in the franchise. For the most part, I think it works, but it's not hard to pick it apart. But at the same time, the things they're saying aren't of much substance, so it's hard to dig deeper into the themes with much intelligent thought. Feel free to end this quote whenever it feels the most natural. Can't wait for this episode. Emoticon-based smiley face, or emoji-based smiley face, not a uh, not a text-based smiley face. So, really showing, really showing a. It's like the full grin version of the uh, smile too. Yeah, it's it's full teeth. Full, full teeth and, um, um, thank you, Nathan. Yeah. Nathan is uh, always on it with the TV tropes connecting us to uh, film themes. I think he knows more about uh, film themes in movies than I do. And uh, probably like a secret film scientist or something. And here I am just babbling on about Bruce Willis. In addition to that email from Nathan, we also have a voice memo sent to us. Uh, If you want to send us a voice memo, we would love it. Uh, It's not super common that people can or want to send in voice memos. So... We haven't really brought it up, but I'm definitely open to people sending voice memos in. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, So we're going to play that voice memo now. Yeah, hey, this is um, a longtime listener of the show. I've caught basically every single episode, I'm pretty sure. I just wanted to issue a correction that I had seen on one of the the most recent episodes. One of the podcast hosts, I can't remember if it was uh, Josh or Kendrick, said something about how... um, Bruce Willis is collaborating with Rob Benton, making him the second director in our chronological listing so far that has done so, that has collaborated with the same person twice, um, except for Blake Edwards, who did Sunset and Blind Date. However, I did want to issue a correction and say that actually Amy Heckerling had uh, two movies with Bruce Willis as well, Look Who's Talking and Look Who's Talking Too. So just wanted to say that. Anyways, keep up the good work, gentlemen. See you later. Bye. That voice memo wasn't signed, actually. Wow, I wonder um, who it was. Yeah, so we, we won't know who said this in that voice memo. but uh, Whoever it was, I'm sure that they had a really tasty breakfast that they were heating up in the background. I did love how, in that episode where you talked about the the directors that we had done before, you said it in the most confusing way. Yeah. And then that voice memo, also extremely confusing in his way of... Also correcting us. What can we say? Confusing hosts bring about confusing fans. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that just sounded like it could be your brother. Oh. Oh, yeah? Did it have like a really distinct Carter sound or something? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so again, if you want to email us, that's williswaypod at gmail.com. And we love voicemails. 
We love voice memos, especially because it gives us a permanent record. And now we have that person on their audio file. So if I ever want to AI generate their voice for forever, I can now do that. Yeah, that's the only way to do that is with voice memos. All right, we're going to get started talking about Die Hard with a Vengeance. In the hands of a mastermind of terror. I want to play a game with Lieutenant McLean. What kind of game? Simon Says. The path to revenge leads straight to John McLean. If we don't do what this guy says, he's going to blow up another public place. Why me? What has he got to do with me? I have no idea. He just said it had to be you. It's nice to be needed. Simon says, get to the paper in Wall Street Station by 10.20, or the number three train and its passengers vaporize. I'm not jumping through hoops for some psycho. That's a white man with white problems. You deal with it. Where the hell are you going, McLean? I know what I'm doing. Not even God knows what you're doing. This guy wants to pound on you till you crumble. Are you aiming for these people? No. Well, maybe that mime. He wants you to dance to his tune and then kill you. Oh, dear. You don't like me because I'm white. I don't like you because you're going to get me killed. Ah! On May 19th. This is a bad idea. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm a New York police officer. I'm going to ask you to calmly and quietly start moving towards the other end of the car. When the theater goes dark. Trust me, guys. Duck. The roof blows off. God, they're setting off bombs. And for some reason, he's very angry with me. <laughs> this, as they say, is where the plot thickens. Bruce Willis, Jeremy Irons, Samuel L. Jackson. Congratulations! You're still alive. Yippee-ki-yay, mother... In a John McTiernan film, Die Hard... With a vengeance. John McLean, NYPD. Are you all right? Yes. Laundry day. That audio is from the trailer of Die Hard with a Vengeance. I'm going to read a modified version of the description from IMDb that doesn't spoil everything. John McLean and a Harlem store owner are targeted by a terrorist named Simon in New York City. You find this movie on Hulu and for rent on video on demand services such as movies dot I don't know. Anyways. I wonder if there's a Willis TLD. I wonder if like movies dot Willis exists. Movies dot Willis? Oh. Well if not, we should We should get that we should get URL. That. Yeah. <laughs> straight away. <clears throat> Stacy Martin. You're our guest today. Uh, was this... So you mentioned before that this was not the first time you saw this movie, correct? Mm-hmm. And you obviously enjoyed this movie because you said, you motherfucker, you better let me on that podcast or I'm going to slap you. I think that was your words? Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> what, uh... <laughs> Tell me what you thought about this movie. Um, well, I have seen this movie probably like ten times in my life because I don't know why, but I love it so much. Wow. 
Is it like a comfort film for you in that a way? A little bit. And one thing I was thinking about, I think I pick up a new thing each time because of, you know, the whole maturing part of, you know, um, which I mean, I can go into later if we get to that, but I think that's something that I can really appreciate about the movie. It just keeps on giving. Is this your favorite? Well, have you seen all the Die Hard movies? All but I are there five of them now? So there's there, five of them, or six if you include the car battery commercial. There's a, and then there's some in production ones or yeah. in, in unreleased ones, supposedly. Right. But the next one after this is 2007, which I think is the big, by far the biggest gap between a Die Hard movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've seen that one. I haven't seen past that. Okay, I don't remember the names. Die Hard, Live Live, live Free, free or and Die, die Hard, and then yeah. the next yeah. one is called. Die Hard, we should have stopped this franchise last movie. Watch yourself. Die Hard with Jack Courtney. Die Harder. Die I Hardest. I think the latest one is actually about a clothing manufacturer, and he has a hard time getting his shirts colored, and so it's just called Die, die Hard. hard. <laughs> but with a Y. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, is this your favorite of the ones you've seen, this movie? I think I have the most, like, happy feels, but I think that's because I've always been a huge Samuel L. Jackson fan. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Like, from the negotiator times, too, which is probably, I don't know how far off that was from this, but great movie if you haven't seen it. This is the second movie Bruce Willis had worked with, Samuel L. Jackson. Third, actually. Because apparently they were both in Loaded Weapon, the movie that we skipped over. Oh, I don't, I don't that's not a movie. That's like an SNL sketch. I'm not counting that. <laughs> I think it's a full feature-length film. Yeah, I'm not counting it, no. <laughs> this is the second time that they've worked together. I agree with you, yeah. <laughs> uh, so obviously the other time is um, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson almost was not cast as his character of Zeus in this movie. Oh, yeah? Uh, Who's going to play him? The Lawrence, <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne. The was, other black guy in Hollywood, yeah, apparently, at the was, time, because there's only two of them, because yeah. Lawrence Fishburne was going to be the guy in Pulp Fiction, yep, too. <laughs> yep. And they actually saw Pulp Fiction and then pulled out of the contract with Samuel <laughs> Jackson, and Lawrence Fishburne sued, Yep. and there was a settlement because of what had happened. Although the, the contract wasn't like written on paper, it was just... A verbal contract. A verbal contract. Um, but it, it is kind of funny that it's like the two action hero black stars that we have at the time. Yep. Uh, Before uh, um, Will Smith did like uh, Independence Day yeah. and yep. Men in Black, because I think he did those like the same year back to back. Yeah. Like 98, 99, I think. I mean, there were definitely other action or movie stars of the time. So Stacy. What sets this movie apart from the other Die Hard movies to you particularly? Like, is there something other than Samuel L. Jackson's character that you really come back to? Because I don't know when the last time you saw this was. This is the first time for me. But we've seen, you've watched with me the first one and the second one in the last few months. So they're all fresh in your mind. And this one obviously still has that crowning top place with you. Is there something that makes this movie really sing? I mean, I think I do like the humor that's there. Not to say that the... I think the second one maybe lacks humor the most in my memory. The first one has some good humor, but I think the third one really stands out in that way. The second one doesn't lack humor for lack of trying, because they have that one horrible uh, janitor guy that's like, Hey, welcome back, Bruce Willis! I'm going to be a janitor and drive you around on my little janitor cart and stuff like that. This guy was the worst. I hated that guy. Um... But yeah, this movie's definitely the funniest one out of the bunch that we've seen. Uh, 
The actor whose name I don't remember, who is Urkel's uncle. What's that guy's name? <laughs> yeah, you were really disappointed he wasn't in this one. Yeah, Reginald Vell Johnson is in Diard One and Two. Uh, not oh, in this one. Oh yeah, the um, cop from uh from, LA. from L.A. And I thought that his character uh, provided like a good sounding board for Bruce Willis's character. Mm-hmm. That this movie then replaced whole 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 hog with Samuel L. Jackson's character, mm-hmm. and it worked much better in this movie. What so there's a lot of differences. They changed the formula of the Die Hard movies a lot. Yeah, they changed one. it a lot with this one. And I don't know going forward if they would go back to the quote unquote formula or if they just kind of now are open to complete changes. So the biggest change I noticed was it is not set at Christmas time. Yep. And not anything connected to Christmas other than at one point Bruce Willis says a one liner about Santa Slay and Reindeer. Yeah. But nothing nothing connecting it to Christmas. I think there is red in this movie, though, which is like Santa's suit. Oh. At some point. Yeah. And there's probably some white also. Yep. Which is like Santa's hair. Yep. So, and beard. And then there's like eight, probably, of something. Yeah. Which is I think so. The number right and there's like cars, which are like Santa's sleigh. Yeah. So metaphorically, you can definitely see yeah. and all someone, the ties. And there's gifts given to different people. Yep. Yeah. In the form of bullets or in the form of clues and stuff. So yeah. really, I think this is the most Christmas out of all the movies yeah, that we've seen so far. Uh, I like where your head's at here. Yep. The other big change, so the previous two Die Hard movies, and actually what I, what what is strange about this movie, and um, I think for me, I would probably say I like the first Die Hard the best, but yeah. I like this one better than the second one for sure. Oh, yeah. But this, when I think of a Die Hard movie, I think of a single person in a, in a location doing a thing, and having to struggle against some very smart, intelligent bad guy. And this movie changed that up because Bruce Willis was not stuck somewhere mm-hmm. and he wasn't having to struggle kind of on his own. He had the full resources of the police department and he had cars and was traveling all over New York. And at the end, I finally came around and I was like, I guess if he called New York the bottled up environment that he's kind of stuck in and having to run all around. But it's definitely very different from an office building or an airport yeah, where he can't leave and he's kind of having to deal with the, the, the movie story bases itself around his limited resources. Yeah. Whereas in this one, he's never limited in resources except for time really. But yeah. um, Although I would argue that like this movie still kind of follows that formula because, and maybe even more so because like in either of the other two movies, he could have left that location. He just, can't and stop the bad guys and in this he like has to do things by a certain time frame so i still felt like the diehard formula was still there because like in my mind the formula is more about like a person who has to do things within any environment any set environment but it's like limited in some way shape or form so this is limited by the like clues that he's given by the simon character whereas the other one's limited in a physical space and then he's also outmatched and outgunned which is also in this movie as well so Another thing that I really love about these Die Hard movies is how smart the villains are. Yeah. And it's unique to action movies, I think, in general, in that the villain is one of the, my favorite things about, more specifically, the first two. This one doesn't have a lot of it, but the villain is planned for the responses to what he does. So mm-hmm. specifically the first one, which is why I think the first one is so good, 
is Hans Gruber is like, they're going to call the cops. Let's flip these switches and we'll like be on the cop radio and call in the, the, the alarm, um, was a mistake and the police department and fire trucks can turn around and he's just prepared every step of the way. He has a answer for every question that comes up, mm-hmm. except Bruce Willis and his bullets. Yeah. He doesn't have an answer for that. But Good old B and B's. B and B's. Bruce and bullets. The second one, similarly, they have the, the guns with the blanks and they know how to like make it look Bruce like. with blank bullets. <laughs> yeah. BBBs. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this one, a little less so, although the main heist revolves around, um, pulling one over on the cops, but, um, there's still a lot of puzzles and we'll, yeah. get, we'll get to like the riddles and, and puzzles here in a little bit, but, uh, yeah, the formula still working for me. I have a theory, by the way, that, um, the way that this movie got written was the guy had a bunch of puzzles that he couldn't solve and then wrote them into a movie so that... And then didn't write any solutions in. And then the director's like, well, we have to find a solution. And the director solves it for the guy. And then he's like, that's how you solve that puzzle. That's a, that's my big theory about the movie. <laughs> anyway. Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. What were you saying? I... Uh, some of those riddles have been like, you know, nursery rhymes or riddles from the oldest. Yeah. From time memorial. That one where Bruce Willis is like, I don't know, what the fuck is he talking about? We have to do all this math for some St. Yeah. Ives thing. Yeah, it's like, that's as like, old as time. I'm like, I've heard this riddle when I was like three years old. I was homeschooled and I heard this riddle. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, that one was easy. Uh, Although the, the jugs. Yeah, the, the, the jugs. The jug one was very hard. Yeah, I feel like this movie, now that we are in a digital medium... It should come with like a DVD interactive menu where it pauses at that point and then you have to solve the riddle in order to continue the movie. That would be great. It'd be like some Dora the Explorer shit just in the middle of this diehard movie. <laughs> and then you don't solve it and it's like, oh no! And then it shows a cutscene of them blowing up and then you go back to the menu again and then you have to rewatch the movie up to that point. Yeah, it's like Black Mirror almost. Yeah. <laughs> the. So the. the like. The idea is that this bad guy, Simon, is creating all these weird nursery rhymes and puzzles to distract the police while they rob the bank. And... Oh, yeah, and full spoilers, by the way. <laughs> we haven't said that yet. Yeah, you're going to get spoiled by this movie. Yep. <laughs> We're going to spoil you by talking. We're going to spoil the listeners. <laughs> it sounds like you were going to treat our listeners really well. Yeah, it's like, no, I am. you're going to get spoiled by this movie. Yeah. Oh boy, we're going to pamper you. We are going to make you enjoy this podcast. Uh, that was um, a little bit, maybe too intense for me. I don't know. <laughs> Joshua, you're going to enjoy listening what's, to me What's talk. up, KSMR? Yeah. KSM Martin. KSM Martin. Um, that was my joke. Oh. <laughs> Gotta make sure everybody knows. Attribution yeah. to uh, Stacey Martin. Yeah. I don't even know where I was going. Anymore. I don't know either. Um, one thing I did want to talk about was that compared to the second movie where John McTiernan wasn't the director, this movie, I noticed the direction like instantly. I was like, oh my god, this movie is so much better directed than the second movie. I just want to pretend like the second movie doesn't exist at this point because this feels like a really good follow-up to the second one. Whereas, or the first one, whereas the second one's just, like, big doo-doo in my book. Like, it's not a Billy Bathgate or a Cosmic Sin, but it's nowhere near as good as the first and the third one are. Well, one of the interesting things is, 
that the second one, I really enjoyed John McClane's connection to his wife. And even in the first one, the first one is all about him reconnecting to his wife and he goes all the way to LA and he's there because he wanted to be with his wife. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, he's trapped in a hotel or an airport (laughs) while it's snowing and he's like on the phone with his wife and he like is telling people, he's like at the beginning he flirts with a girl and he's like, sorry, I'm married. You know, I don't want to, I'm not going to give you my number. I just want your phone or whatever. Whenever he's talking to the, the, the desk girl. Talk about sending miss. Mixed messages. And, uh, yeah. I don't want your number. I just want your phone. Um, and in this one, he's just haggard and hungover and back in New York. And, which I loved. I loved that he was hungover the entire time and they just didn't like mention it once and then forget about it. Like painkillers and yes. aspirin are like a really big part of this movie. Yeah. So. And, and yeah, he gets coffee and aspirin at the beginning of the movie, but he yeah. still continually asks for him, which I mean, that must be a bad hangover. Yeah. Well, and also, like, the most unrealistic part of this movie is that he drinks coffee at the beginning of the movie, and we didn't get any scenes where he's shitting at some point else in the movie, so I feel like that's a big plot Maybe hole. he's just irregular. Maybe he had too many Wheaties that day. That is entirely possible. Uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised. So he spends most of the movie looking for aspirin. And then he gets it at the end while he's tied up by the bad guy. <laughs> to be uh, fair, the rest of the movie is going on at the same time. This is not a movie about Bruce Willis trying to find that <laughs> No, it does. It's, he's hardly dying because of his need for aspirin. Bruce Willis, if you want aspirin, you will have to solve my riddles. And he's like, what the fuck, man? I just want aspirin. Yeah, he's like, how many, how many pills are in this bottle? <laughs> I'll just look at the quantity. No, man, it's a trick. <laughs> But then at the end, when he finally gets the aspirin, and I was like, oh, he's going to secretly use this to unlock his keys. And I'm like, no, he just wanted to take some aspirin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that aspirin bottle doesn't come into play the rest of the movie in the theatrical release. Anyways, we'll get to that later. Uh, no, <laughs> it does. It does? Oh, I guess it does, but just like barely. Yeah, because it has Canada written on it. <laughs> aspirin from Canada, eh? <laughs> so I didn't realize that... Uh, Simon is chewing aspirin the whole time. I just thought he was like taking heartburn medication or something. Oh yeah, and because he keeps pulling out pills and chewing on them, and I was like, "What is he got? Like heartburn or like what's going on here?" But he must have. It was the it was aspirin he was taking. Mm. Also, when he stutters in the beginning, is that just a fake out? Yeah, it is because later they. But I, I know that he says that it's just a fake out, but just to for the sake of faking him out, like. Yeah, I think that the the first half of this movie, and I, I'm going to talk about this too. Maybe now's a good time to dive into this. So this movie, it's written by um, Jonathan Hensley. And this movie is like a direct version of, or a direct copy of his script, Simon Says, which is a movie that he wrote. And then he he wrote out this entire movie called Simon Says. And then they're like, we want to turn this into a diehard movie. Um, it was originally going to be some other move, some other script, and then they changed it into this. And then he just changed the names, and that was it. And like the full first fifty minutes is basically that movie in its entirety, or that script in its entirety, unchanged except for the names, just Control F and then replace. Um, so I, I definitely felt that in this movie because the first fifty minutes of this movie feel nothing like the other first two movies at all, and. Um, the I think that there's a lot of fake outs that are done that might have played off in his original script. 
that are now like dangly loose threads that they just didn't even feel like tying up. And that fake out is probably one of them. Cause there's also like the psychiatrist guy and he has like a little bit of exposition. Like it's probably somebody from your past and then it ends up not being. And so then it's like worthless exposition in a movie that's already like kind of long. So yeah, I think that this movie probably needed a little bit more tweaking from that initial concept. Um, if you're going to, change something over you can't just change the names you gotta you gotta do a little bit more work than that like they mentioned that bruce willis is divorced in this Mm -hmm. or separated and then that's like it like Mm -hmm. they don't really talk about him being john mcclain at all or anything and then you only really get like the more stuff with his wife towards the end of the movie where Mm -hmm. obviously they've kind of gone off from the original script and stuff like that so stacy when you saw this as a kid maybe for the first time I don't know if you remember when the first time you saw it was. Did you? Could you? Did you figure out the twist? I guess we're in, we're in full spoilers. So the twist, the twist of who the how the bad guy connects to the first John, or the first Die Hard movie. I don't think so. I mean, I was pretty young. I think I was just like, whoa. Watching this for the first time on Laserdisc or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I was I was young. Laserdisc. Wow. Uh, I think this was a LP and a sock puppet. <laughs> Uh, you had to have like your dad do the little sock puppet while the um I don't I don't know why but I just immediately was like wait this guy has an accent and it's a diehard movie it's gonna be connected to Hans Gruber pretty sure that's racist against Germans (laughs) well I don't know if Germans are a race but uh (laughs) sure (laughs) that's a good fucking point yeah but yeah when they're like why does this guy want to talk to me? What could I have done? And I'm like, uh, killed the all the German people in the first movie? I I didn't even think about that at all because I really bought into the John McClane as an asshole cop who who's like cut corners and put people behind bars and stuff like that. So there's no 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 telling how many people he's mm. pissed off. So I was bought into the whole maybe it's just somebody from his past that he's directly interacted with. So it's kind of a surprise to me that it was a uh, Hans Gruber's brother and then it felt kind of like a, a cheap thing like they didn't know what they were going to do for a villain but then him being his brother doesn't really end up mattering that much because like he he didn't even like his brother all that much or anything so I don't know it didn't really feel like it needed to be that but yeah there wasn't a lot of vengeance it was I yeah it, movie <laughs> yeah it was die hard with uh, steel money yeah <laughs> I thought it was Interesting idea. Die hard with an aspirin. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting concept when it was all about revenge. Because when the police chief is like, what do we need to pay you off? And he's like, I don't want money. I just want uh, John McClane to pay. And I was like, oh, this could be an interesting story because there's no way out of it other than like a final showdown. And then when he's like, I'm going to actually steal money. And I was like, oh, you're just a regular guy (laughs) who wants gold. (laughs) I read something where it's like the first movie. It's like terrorists who pose, people who pose as terrorists, but they end up being thieves. And then the second movie is like people who pose as thieves, but they end up being terrorists. And then this movie is people who are thieves and terrorists. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, uh, I guess so. Which I realize we don't see a lot of terrorists in New York anymore movies. Nope. <laughs> Probably for good reason. That's a, So that's a good point. Let's. I want to talk about yeah. the New York of it all. So it's the first of the Dyer movies set in New York, which is where 
John McClane is from originally. Mm-hmm. I think the second one is set in Washington, D.C. Um, there's several things that immediately you're like, whoa. One of which is uh, the World Trade Center is noted in the background of one of the scenes. Yep. Um, and then you're right, the explosions and everything else going on was interesting. I think Cloverfield was the one of the major movies I saw where there was like a major disaster that takes place in the middle of New York and there's a lot of smoke clouds. And I don't remember when that movie came out, 2004, maybe 2005. And I got a lot of um, like 9-11 connections there. I think that was kind of almost purposeful mm-hmm. in how the first Cloverfield movie was made. Well, if you made it after 9-11 and you set it in New York and there's destruction and stuff yeah. like that, you have to be conscious at some yeah. point of... Yeah. What happened? Um, then there's also the racial elements of this movie. And yeah. so he goes specifically to Harlem and has to uh, try to antagonize the people that live there. I'm, I was kind of wondering, like, it, I don't know what ha- would have happened in the 90s, but if someone were to do that today, if someone were to go wearing, like, a shirt. Yeah, so he wears a sign that says, I hate N-word on it. And he has to walk through Harlem with that on there. And, so. I, and I was like, I think if someone were to do that, you would have gotten a lot of yelling. But I don't know if like a group of people would have just charged you and tried to kill you. Yeah. But this movie is also written from a, the perspective of a white guy. So I noticed that in this movie, like they they make those guys who are trying to kill Bruce, like just it's like the the white guy interpretation of what he would imagine like a gang to be mm. like. They're all African-American men. They're all, like, playing basketball because they've got a basketball there. Um, they are all, like, talking shit to each other and, like, pushing each other around and stuff like that. And then they immediately turn violent. And it's, like, I was watching it. And there's there's a lot of race elements in this movie that I want to talk about. I think that that's one of the things that's, like, aged the least well from the rest of this movie. Um, Samuel L. Jackson does just such a great job playing his character. But... The character is written to be this guy who's racist against whites, quote unquote, um, which is a whole big contentious thing to get into. But the uh, the whole thing with with him is that like his character arc is basically he starts the movie with all white people are bad and are taking advantage of black people because his character is actually based on Malcolm X. And then it ended up at the end of the movie, him being like, no, some white people are great. I like white people. Even though Bruce Willis has lied to him and screwed him over throughout this entire movie. So it's about like the black guy. His character development is learning to accept the punishment that he has to bear for the white guy. Um, and then I also learned that this movie is based on their relationships based on the Defiant Ones from 1958, which is like another huge racially contentious movie where the black characters lied to and cheated throughout the entirety of that movie. And then at the end of the movie, spoilers for the defiant one, he is on a train just about to escape because there are these two escaped convicts. And then he ends up falling off the train or jumping off the train to go save his white guy friend and be with him at the end of the movie, even though the white guy friend is just like screwed him over the entire time. So I got a lot of like echoes of that movie. And I think that that ages super poorly. And um, also in the movie, at one point, um, Bruce Willis hears that there was a bomb planted in Chinatown, and then he lies to um, Samuel Jackson and says that it was um, planted in uh, Harlem. 
And then later on in the movie, um, he is just about to curse at Bruce Willis, and then he stops himself. Or not not Bruce Willis, at Samuel Jackson, and he stops himself. And then Samuel Jackson's like, you were about to call me the N-word, right? And he's like, no, I wasn't. And at the end of the movie, Bruce Willis is about to apologize. And then he apologizes about the bomb thing, not like the way that he's treated him throughout the movie, which he should have apologized about the bomb thing, but he needed to apologize about more than that. And I'm not like, oh, if white people just apologize, then everything will be fine. But this movie leaves way too many threads dangling and like paints Bruce Willis and white people in general in way too positive of light and then black people in like way too negative of a light, I feel. Yeah, I think the only exception in my mind is, I don't know, I was kind of wondering early on, like, why would Samuel L. Jackson's character do what he's doing? Mm -hmm. You know, like, why would he step in? And I think it was a pretty powerful statement when he later, like, Bruce Willis's character asked him, like, why, why'd you save me? And he said, because, you know, he was talking about how oh, yeah. then, you know, more white cops are going to come into the neighborhood. Oh, and, yeah. And I think that's pretty. If impressive. a white, if a white cop was killed in the neighborhood, then they would just overrun yes. this area with cops. Said, then yeah. they'd get like, you know, trigger finger. Yeah. Know, Which I think is totally an accurate, like, it's one of those things where it's like, if you, did you guys watch Black Panther? You did, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Black Panther is this whole movie where, and Marvel shows and movies fall into this problem all the time where they're like. As the villain, I have a twirly mustache, a really fucking good point, but I kill people. And then, like, this movie is kind of that way where it's like, okay, Samuel Jackson is quote-unquote wrong, but he's got a good point, and that is exactly how I felt about it, too, where, like, that is, he's right. Like, mm-hmm. if he, if Bruce Willis got killed there by that gang, then that place would be totally overrun with cops. And so his his whole point and the reason why it saved him makes perfect sense for the character, but I don't think that it was written under the perspective of, this is a very reasonable thing to think. Mm-hmm. I think it was written under the perspective of, Samuel Jackson's a racist, and so this is why he thinks that. One of the interesting things I noticed was, we've talked about Rodney King a lot in Bruce Willis movies, because yeah. Bruce Willis, because Rodney King was only a few years prior, and a lot Bruce of Willis plays like a lot of cops and a lot stuff. Of, a lot of movies we've seen have to deal with cops and racial violence Mm -hmm. and it's kind of been an ongoing thread of like did the writers write this in the light of that was written before that incident was that at all in the minds of people who are writing it and this actually um samuel jackson's character references that scene yeah i don't know if we'll see any more of that going forward but i at least felt like well they're kind of paying attention although i agree that i don't think i think not only was it not written I, I don't, I mean, I don't know, but I don't think it was consulting any black people in writing it no. because it was definitely written from a perspective of like very stereotyped. Yeah. But then it, it had a lot to do in the beginning of the movie and then just completely disappeared through most of the movie until the very end when he apologized for it because Samuel L. Jackson like referenced it several times that he doesn't like white people. He doesn't think they're there to help him. And then Bruce Willis is like, all right, you gotta, you know, he, he tricks him in helping him. And then he just is like totally on board with helping him for the most part of the movie. And yeah. then at the end, he's like, wait, why was I doing all this stuff? Um, yeah. Which like, I feel like it wouldn't have been that hard just to write a reason in for why his character now cares. Like it wouldn't have been that hard to say, oh, we have a sniper trained on your nephews or whatever. Cause his nephews are referenced at the beginning of the movie. Well, and then later we find that. His nephew's school is the school that the bombs are at. Yeah. Which I was like, 
was that a coincidence or did this guy did Simon somehow know that he was going to befriend this guy this whole time? He because didn't the know bombs that. were set up well ahead of their Oh yeah, that was my other thing is that like if Bruce Willis died at the beginning with that gang, like was that the whole plan of the bad guy in the first place? Well, because he needed the bombs to go off by the by the reserve. Yeah. That was another thing was they could have Bruce Willis could have easily made it to the subway yeah. with Samuel Jackson. Yeah. And then if they both were there, would he not have blown the bombs up? I don't know. You're not really ever clear on if um if the bad guy's to be trusted and if he's not gonna blow something up. Because like he at one point is like, Oh, there's a bomb in the garbage can right next to you and then there presumably isn't. Um, but they don't ever look through the garbage can, which yeah. I thought was so weird. Like, why would they not do that? How would they not send down a unit and everything? Let's uh, take a minute and talk about the explosion set pieces. So the movie starts with a big explosion in a department store or some kind of store in the yeah. middle of downtown New York. And I thought that was, like, interesting and... Very visceral. Yeah, yeah. very well done. Uh, looked like a, a practical effect. And then Definitely. the other major explosion that we see is in the subway. And right before the subway explosion goes off, they're walking through the subway station, and a woman puts, like, brushes up against one of those pillars in the subway, and it wobbles. And I was like, <laughs> well, that's a fake pillar, because no way is someone, like, bumping a concrete pillar in a subway station, and it wobbles. And then, oh, sure enough, the subway, like, takes out all the pillars, so they're obviously fake pillars. Oh, but I was funny. like, oh. And that, like... Ruined that moment for me because I was very much taken out of it just a second before it happened. But um, I thought it was a good. Like I watched it again later, and I was like, "That's actually pretty good." The the stunt, the subway explosion stunt. Yeah, yeah that was pretty great. Apparently, the train was also moving through there at forty five miles per hour, so people were just like booking it. The stunt actors were. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah, which was, like, the action set pieces in this scene are pretty darn amazing. I think that John McTiernan just does such a good job with directing of this movie. You can really tell that he knows how to direct action in a way that's, um, that immerses you. I watched a review on this movie today and prep for this, this podcast, and the person pointed out how um, whenever he can, he tries to show the big action set piece and the actors in the same shot, so he'll show that. And then within the same shot, pan over to the actors so you know that they're there and stuff like that instead of just show the thing and then show reaction shot. Because it's really easy to like just get one good shot of said thing happening and then your actor's reaction shot. You can shoot that a million times. But in this, you have like only a few times because you got to do a whole reset for it. So I think that he just does such a good job of like framing the action and really making you get immersed into what's going on. I, I was really impressed with the way that he kind of directed the shots and everything like that in this movie. Stacey, did you have a favorite action scene? Oh, boy. I don't think so. I mean, I think the water one is maybe a little underrated. I think when he, like, it's kind of towards the end, but when he has to, like, climb out and then, like, he explodes out in the water, that's pretty bad. Also, the scene where they're ziplining onto that boat and they just slice that guy in half. They have the, like, the longest yes. fucking toe line yeah, all the time. I know. When we were watching that movie, I was like, there's no way that toe line would be that long. And then they come back and it's still got, like, 15 feet to go. And I'm like, no way. Toe lines are, like, 15 foot max, I yeah. feel like. Yeah. <laughs> Not falls off a bridge and you can wrap it around something and then yeah. slide down it. Yeah. 
I also loved it too how this movie is like all sorts of crazy action and stuff like that. And then at that one sequence, instead of being like a zip line, they're like scooping their way <laughs> yeah. down. And you're like, what? Yeah. What? So many action movies, <laughs> you see the guy like, you know, use his gun on the zip line. Or and his like belt or something. Yeah. And like yeah. Zip line down. No, this is just like, scoot, I'm going to, yeah. Scoot, scoot, scoot. <laughs> squeak my way across. So and then the, uh, the uh, bomb squad guy who... Oh, Kevin he, Chamberlain? He was, he's the best. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Charlie or whatever his yeah, name is. I really liked his... All right, let's dance as he tries to figure out how to defuse the bomb that's not a bomb. Yep. Yep, yeah. I, I really liked it. I, I thought that he was great. Apparently he's like a big Broadway actor, and this is his first film role. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he, he did was, great. He was a gem. Yeah. He was a gem. You can say that again. somebody else in this movie who has not done a lot of acting? Oh, yes. So I know who you're going to mention, too. Yes, so basically the person of my nightmares growing up watching this movie was the girlfriend of um, Simon's character. I mean, we find out that she's the girlfriend of him, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, Her name in real life is Sam Phillips, Mm -hmm. and she is creepy, but, like, in a great way. Oh, yeah. She's only been in, like, three things. And she's actually, like, a singer-songwriter. Yep. I don't know if you found all this, but I listened to some of her music. It's all right. Yeah, I listened to it today. It's kind of like a more upbeat Enya. Like, it's that, like, sort of, like, electronica pop type of music. But it's good stuff. She and Bruce Willis would do, like, a collab album. Nah. (laughs) Is that point where you see her, like, in the movie, like, on the, um, like, you know, the the recording of her, or like, you know, on the yeah. TV, where she appears, and then she starts slicing that guy up. Like, oh, yeah. That scared the crap out of me <laughs> as a kid. Oh, fun fact about that scene. Also, apparently she was, like, just really uncomfortable with the amount of blood and stuff coming out of the squibs in that scene and everything. And then she realized that um, he looked like a famed uh, radio host. God, what's the conservative radio host that um, passed away last year? What's his name? Conservative talk uh, show. I know who you're talking about. I don't remember his name. Uh, oh, yeah. She noticed that he looked like Rush Limbaugh, apparently, oh. and then was like, now this action seems a lot easier. <laughs> Which, like, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, who can blame one yeah. for doing that? <laughs> yeah. If one hated uh, Rush Limbaugh like yeah, that. I wonder what 1995 Rush Limbaugh looked like. Uh, probably pretty similar to what he looked like later, because, I don't know, he had been bald, I think, for a long time, or at least a lot of hair for a long time. It was a while ago, though. Yeah. Um, Maybe he was, like, the handsomest of men at the time. <laughs> Although that shotgun guy wasn't the handsomest of men, so probably not. <laughs> no. uh, the bank... Um, scene where they where Bruce Willis goes into the bank and Stacy pointed this out when we were watching it, but she um so John McClane walks into the to the bank and he's like, Hey, how's it going? And then the the guy is German but using an American accent. Mm-hmm. Which the like fake accent accent I thought was really funny in this movie, although I never could quite tell what was a real accent. But yeah. they use um English or European verbiage for things so they call it a lift they say it's raining dogs and cats yeah they say a couple things i heard that and i was like Whoa. and i was like <laughs> getting totally and i but then i don't but the, i never i couldn't tell if that's what tipped him off or not i mean i think it, it helped but 
There was a, there was like a final straw. No, no, no Stacy knows what it is. The straw was his, the badge on oh, one of yeah. the guys. It was I think it was his cop buddy. Yeah, one of the guys who was back. And they didn't know. And it was his lottery number because that guy said oh. that he always bet that number, and it's his cop number. Yeah, no one. This is badge. And then no one there knew what the lottery number was. Yeah, because yep. you know he would have to have a good like idea that that they're bad guys to start like shooting them up like that. I would hope, but he's like, John McClane. Well, you said, I know, I you know, said dogs and cats. Bang, 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 bang. Whoops, uh, my bad. Slip of the gun. I mean tongue. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. So I love that elevator fight scene though. That was super, super intense. And because this movie waited a really long time for like the first like Bruce Willis kill, I'm pretty sure that's the first person. Yeah. It's the first guy that Bruce Willis kills in the movie. And it's impressive. Yeah, I mean, unless he wild. killed anybody in that park, because he was so <laughs> wild. You know, oh, no. yeah! <laughs> so, I was thinking, I was reminiscing... During the crazy taxi sequence? Uh, <laughs> while we were watching that, I was reminiscing to... What was that movie that was not a submarine movie, nor a... What movie am I talking about? Striking Distance? Cool, cool Running? Yeah, Striking Distance. <laughs> yeah, Striking Distance, the beginning of that movie, also had a ridiculous chase scene. Yeah, uh, and the cars are just like turning right and left, and definitely not acting safe Car-ish. to anyone, anyone <laughs> on the streets. This one also, I was just like, "Wow, yeah, someone could very much die here." Yep. This is bananas. I was so impressed with how that was all put together. I was like on the edge of my seat yeah. during that whole like car sequence where they're going through the park and they like go up a concrete jump at the end. Yeah. I was just like digging my nails into my chair and stuff. It was so intense. And it, yeah, it was really well produced and the there was a lot of extras in that park mm-hmm. and it was like a car legitimately flying through a park full of people. Yep. And I don't know how you would like to rehearse something like that, but it was like very well put together. I was very impressed. With oh, that. they would have had to have. Oh, that's another thing is that you didn't see like tire tracks or anything. So they might've just had like one shot to do that. They're like, it will do this and then it will do this. But there's like a lot of shot, 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 shot. It's not like yeah. one whole sequence yeah, going sure. through the park. So they could definitely. Pre-plan and there's also it. a lot of perspectives where you can't tell exactly how close the thing is to the car is to people or, or the car is um, to trees. Although yeah. they did get pretty close in one shot and you're like, Oh my God. <laughs> so there's a goof where he drives the taxi through two close trucks and scrapes the sides of the car and knocks all the mirrors off. Uh-huh. And then later you see the mirrors back on the car, uh, but the scrapes are still there for the rest of that drive. Uh, maybe there are mirrors where they like folding mirrors and then Samuel Jackson pops oh, out his and then Bruce Willis pops out his deleted scene. Yeah. <laughs> That's the important deleted scene that people don't talk yeah. about in this movie. Another thing I loved about this movie is the quips that John McClane makes. I think Bruce Willis movies, we haven't had, we've we've bounced around a lot, but even the action movies that we've done haven't had super quippy Bruce Willis. This movie definitely honed in on Bruce Willis making some ridiculous quips. But he doesn't even have the best quips in the movie. What is your favorite clip in this movie? Well, it's all the ones that Samuel L. Jackson has, man. He's so funny in this movie. So I wrote down um, when Bruce Willis is running around with the sign that says, I hate N-words. Um, <laughs> uh, Sam Jackson says to his nephew, dial 911. Somebody's about to get killed, which is just such a great use of passive language. I fucking love it. And then he also says... He's like, my name is uh, Zeus, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in response to, like, Bruce Willis is calling him Jesus at the beginning of the movie, yeah. and then he's like, no, they were saying, hey, Zeus, as in, 
Zeus the god, as in, don't fuck with me or I'll shove a lightning bolt up your ass, Zeus. Which is like the funniest line. That is my favorite part of it. I think I quote that part of the movie whenever I refer yeah. to it. <laughs> that was great. He's so funny in this, yeah. yeah. He's great. And he also doesn't use a gun the entire movie. He has a gun, but he doesn't ever use it because he doesn't what <laughs> he didn't the, know about the safety. Yeah, one so, of the things yeah. I was annoyed about was in the beginning of the movie when he saves Bruce Willis, he pulls his, a gun out and flashes it. And then at the end of the movie, he doesn't know how to work a gun, including how to, like, use a safety on a gun. Yeah. And I was like, but he already had a gun, so presumably he knows how a safety works? Unless well, he just has are... that gun and doesn't know anything about it. I think that he didn't know anything about guns at all. You just think that he had the gun? I think that like Bruce Willis had the safety turned off on his gun. No, but the gun that Samuel L. Jackson has, that's his gun at the beginning of the movie, isn't it? No, Bruce Willis has a gun on his back taped to him. Like he did. Oh, and Samuel L. Jackson pulls it out? I yeah. thought Samuel L. Jackson had a gun. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. No. Gotcha. No, if he didn't if he had a gun and he didn't know how to use it, that's a bad gun on her. If you own a gun, you should know how to use it. Well that would be a rookie move to not have the safety on when it's taped to your back, because danger. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, that is entirely true. So I don't know what did the gun end up going off at the beginning of the movie? Uh-huh. Oh, maybe the safety was still on then. If yeah. he's pointing it and it's safety songs. So IDK. Yeah. IDK. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, one thing I was going to mention about um, Samuel L. Jackson's performance as Zeus is that, like, as we've mentioned before, the movie definitely has a pretty strong, like, written by white guy vibes and everything's pretty stereotypy. But I thought that he did a really good job of, like, elevating the part above what it was. Because you could see this multi-dimensional, nuanced character throughout the movie. And I think that that's definitely Sam Jackson shining through this movie. I, I kind of see him not as, like, an Arnold Schwarzenegger, but as, like, a plays a very distinct type of character and then it's always really fun getting to see him take on a more nuanced role because I think he takes on simple characters sometimes, but he can play really nuanced too. And I think he did a great job with that in this movie. Yeah, I think the one thing we didn't talk about too, which maybe it's like because of what's going on in the news that like in that in that time where like the cop has a gun pointing at him. Like, I know I felt, like, a lot of anxiety for him in that oh, yeah. moment in a way that, like, when I was a kid, I totally wouldn't have come yeah. to, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. We didn't talk about that in the subway scene when he jumped, when uh, Zeus, Sam Jackson's character, jumps the turnstile, and the yeah. other, there's, like, a subway cop there, and he's like, hey, and I was like, oh, this is gonna go bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, um, it definitely was like acknowledging that fact that I mean even earlier it talks about how he doesn't feel comfortable doing this stuff and and John McClane is like I'm a cop I'm gonna do whatever I want and Mm -hmm. then Sam Jackson's like all right I guess I'll help you and then when John McClane's not there bad stuff happens and he doesn't have that protective he doesn't have like the white card the white guy card yeah and uh, not only white guy card or the even the ability to say I'm a police officer he's just like a regular guy unattributed to anything Mm -hmm. and so I think that there's like a an interesting thing there to explore more of. And I, I think if this movie were to be remade today, it could have a lot of, uh, areas to explore around, um, the black guy having to do what this white cop is doing. But then every time the white cop disappears, he's constantly struggling with this hidden, uh, hidden wall like of, yeah, 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 of like 
you know, oh, suddenly the cop, this random guy thinks I'm doing something terrible and he's going to pull his gun on me until yeah. it takes a subway explosion to finally get this cop to stop. Uh, yeah, I thought it, it was like an interesting that fact that they acknowledge this stuff, but then it just kind of fell flat that it never got brought up again, which is definitely not as bad as never acknowledging it or perpetrating it even more. But That's true. Yeah. It did make for an interesting look. And I don't know, I mean, I was seven, eight when this movie came out, and mm-hmm. I I don't know when I if I would have even been able to watch this movie. Homeschool kids, we don't watch rated R movies. Mm-mm. But first rated I, R movie I watched, I'm pretty sure was uh Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I uh, hate that movie, by the way. Yeah. I'm just going to come out and say that. Yeah. Yeah. We're not reviewing that movie on this podcast. Nope. Um, I, I think that probably would have flown right over my head, and I don't know if that was the thing that people were talking about in the Midwest. No. We were pretty far removed from things like the Rodney King incident or the yeah. Assumption trial and stuff like that. You guys didn't have racism, racism in the no, Midwest. No, yeah, we were... Yeah. Uh, nope. None nope. of that. None of that. Um, yeah, I think that this movie is another really great example of... Um, theoretically, how much this movie would improve with a a diverse cast in the uh, in the writers' room? Yeah, behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like this movie brings up a lot of stuff regarding race, but then it doesn't know how to treat them. And I feel like if they had like asked any black guy, like, "What would you do in this circumstance?" then they would have made a better movie out of it. Or like, "What does Harlem actually look like?" Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Basketball guy, basketball gang playing guys, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, and of course the kids are dealing with stolen merchandise that they're not. Oh wearing. yeah, we didn't even talk about that, man. And then they don't follow the rules later at the thing. Do you think that that was on purpose? Like they're like, oh man, black kids don't know how to follow the rules, or if that was just an unfortunate accident of this movie. I don't know. I, I think I mean that part was a little weird, and it was, uh. I mean, the kids are all, the kids are at the beginning like they don't super follow the rules. They don't go to school right away, and you know their dad has to like really encourage them to go to school to go, yeah to go to school. Their uncle, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam Jackson's character, but it just seems like strange and to add a little bit of tension. And I was like, this bomb has to go off because the amount of pressure we're giving this, and then. Uh, like, they're jumping off roofs, and they're, like, running through the streets and all this stuff. Yeah. Like, we can't just be like, oh, we diffused it after all. Um, so then the, like, explosion of pancake syrup, I thought, was a great way to have a bomb go off, but not really kill people in yeah. school. Well, although you can figure out that they're not going to kill the school at all when the the bad guys are like, oh, we can't leave the suitcase here. Some kid might find it. Oh, yeah. Because they actually referenced that. Yeah, so that's then, right. Then if you're paying attention to that, which I wasn't, I saw that on the trivia on IMDb. I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense that yeah. they wouldn't even be be wanting to kill the kids in the first place. Yeah. So. I just thought it was a funny like callback to the conversation they just had about, we can't leave the suitcase here. The kids will find it. Yeah. I think that it was both. Yeah, which is a good rule of three example. Yeah. So yeah, well, they also yeah. already had the gold by that point. So what what would be the point in blowing up the school? Yeah, that was kind of some of my thought. But I yeah, I think a lot of the bad guys' plan falls apart. This movie operates in like a really heightened reality where things don't have to make perfect sense as long as you're fine moment to moment. You can accept this movie. So I think that it does a a good job of keeping up the intensity so that we can't stop and think about it and be like, that doesn't make any sense. 
Because if you were to like pause this movie every 10 minutes and write down your thoughts up to that point, this movie would fall apart so fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But because of the intensity of the movie, I think that we forgive a lot of sins. Not yeah. that that's a bad thing. I'm okay with movies that are uncomplicated or fall apart upon further review. Yeah, totally. As long as you're having a good time while watching it, I think it's fine. I didn't know binary liquid was a real thing, and I looked it up later, and it is definitely like that's how bombs work. Is it's called binary liquid? Oh like, yeah, that sounds like a really dumb name, binary liquid. <laughs> that's not. Yep. That's not. That is a dumb name. But it's also <laughs> how bombs work. <laughs> I uh, my only experience with bombs is just playing uh, keep talking and nobody explodes. So mm, no binary liquids it. in that game. No binary liquids in that game. Nope. I did really bad at that game. I played it for a little while, but. So when I play it with friends now, I hand them each a portion of the decoder book. So then it's like, yeah. oh, I have this yeah. thing. And then they're like, is it complicated wires or is it simple wires? And then you have to like work it out and stuff. Well, the fact that you had to print out like a 17 page decoder book in order to play that. I printed it out like three times because I've lost the pages yeah. and then I'll find them again. And I'm like, great. Now I have 36 pages of this. So yeah. Do you think John McClane is wearing a wig in this movie using his natural hair or? I- Another well, option. Another option? <laughs> what is third option, Kendrick? <laughs> uh, CG, CGI hair. Uh, considering where CGI was at at this point, I'm going to say not the third one. I think that it was probably a hair piece. I don't know if he... And I don't know if there's any way to find this out. If he ever got implants. Mm. Um, he has a really strong widow's peak, I believe yeah. it's called, in this movie. And that's... Similar to previous Die Hard movies, which we know is probably his real hair. So I thought it might have been his actual hair, maybe with some implants, or maybe just his actual hair that was kind of thinning. And on Hulu, which is how we watch this, they they have the first three Die Hard movies. And so the first one, the title card popped up, and it does not look like Bruce Willis anymore. It looks like some other weird actor, because I've seen new Bruce Willis, and I'm just like... Wait, who's this other guy? Oh, yeah. his hair is like very different, and I'm like, whoa. This is yeah, weird. he has a lot of hair in uh, Die Hard, the yeah. first one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We haven't talked a whole lot about his hair, but his hair has definitely evolved over the course of these movies. I'm, that's my first thing that I always go to is like, what do you think his hair's doing? Yeah, we're wondering when when is the first like bald Bruce Willis movie? Yeah, and then of course look who's talking. <laughs> <laughs> As you mentioned. Uh, uh, zing. <laughs> I still cannot hear the round, round, get around, I get around without thinking about the stupid fucking sperm and egg sequence. Speaking of which, though, I made a list before this of like all the things that I thought of with this movie, and weirdly enough, one of the things that I thought of was the like um, the ants go marching in song. Oh, we haven't talked about oh, that. Yeah. Like, I mean, just for some reason, that's stu- like that stuck with me. So I, if we're talking about songs. What do you mean for some reason it's playing over like a half of this movie? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, why are they playing the ants go marching in? And then later when they're in the school and they're singing like nursery rhymes to the kids, I was like, ooh, they should sing the ants go marching in right now. But no, no, no. Um, apparently, uh, so I said that when I was watching the movie and actually my letterbox review is just, they didn't play enough of the ants go marching in for my liking. And then I, I mentioned that aloud to my wife. And then my wife was like, oh, the movie is, uh, the, the song isn't the Ants Go Marching In. The main theme for this movie is Johnny I Hardly Knew Ya. It's an Irish song from 250 years ago. And I was like, that still doesn't answer why it's in this movie so much. Because, like, there's, like, a whole menacing sequence yeah. throughout this movie. And then they're like, 
playing dance, go marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. Wait, in the background, you're like, that is actually an Irish song. It's like an old, old fucking Irish song, yeah. Well, we're going to have to edit some of that in post, because uh, I'm going to hear what that sounds like. Um, yeah, but it's like an old Irish folk song, so... But I still don't know why it's in there, because they're all Germans. Why are they playing it? And it's not like soldiers. No! Any, any sort of, like, going no. marching. And I swear it's, like, over 15 to 20 minutes yeah, in this movie. Yeah, it's a long time. And I was just like, good God. Like, it broke all the tension for me. Because up to that point in the movie, it's, like, chase sequence, puzzle, chase sequence, puzzle, sequence, puzzle, sequence, puzzle. And then 20 minutes of the ants go marching in as they're doing their big plan. And you're like, the pace of this movie just got ruined. Yeah. What happened to sequence, puzzle? That was working so well. Like, yeah. go back to that. <laughs> Yeah. None of the other music, I don't think the other songs really stuck out to me, other than that one. Uh, the opening song was pretty great, and then like when he's walking around Harlem, it's like, this is a 95 hip-hop rap song. Bum, 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 bum. And you're like, oh, okay, is this going to be all rap music? And they're like, nope, we're just going to do it once so that you know that black people are here. And I'm like, okay, thank you, appreciate that, John McTiernan. It's a really nuanced take from you, I, I love that. It didn't end in a Christmas song, which is really what was most disappointing. Mm. Most disappointing? That was like what made me the happiest. <laughs> <laughs> How much- <laughs> I don't think Josh knows my sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. It would have been even funnier if that time had still ended. Yeah. They're in Canada and yeah. got all the gold rocking around. <laughs> Sam Jackson's like, you know what my favorite thing about Canada? And Bruce Willis is like, it's always Christmas. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Uh, speaking of Canada, this movie had two, an alternate ending that was yep. unreleased. Yeah. Well, we should talk about the original ending first. So, yeah. did you did you like the original ending of this movie? Uh, I thought it was fine. I thought it was interesting. I mean, the you're talking about the, where they go to Canada. Yeah, where they go to Canada, and then he does a shootout with the helicopter. Um. Yeah, I liked it. I, I was I was like this is the stupidest thing ever. I, but. I thought that the oh the aspirin bottle is in French. They must be going to Canada. I was like that's kind of a stretch. <laughs> well, but I did really like the fact that they're like driving their trucks through an aqueduct. I thought that was really cool, and the water yeah. coming rushing down. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Um. Uh. <clears throat> one of the the bloopers on IMDb is. There's no way a dump truck could hold nearly the weight of gold yeah. that they say is in those dump trucks. <laughs> like, the biggest dump trucks, which are way bigger than those dump trucks, hold, like, half the max weight you can hold is, like, 300 tons or something. And uh-huh. in order to have the amount of money that they say is in one of those dump trucks, it would be 600 tons. Yeah. Or, and it's I read just, something like you needed 148 trucks in order to get everything out of there. Yeah. I was like, well, that's fine. Yeah. I know. I was like, I don't care. That, that was fine. Just suspension of disbelief. And I thought it was fun seeing, like, oh, they're robbing all the gold from all these different countries. Oh, that was really interesting. And I thought mm-hmm. the breaking into the bank was fun. Um, Other than the music. 
Yeah. Unless you love the music, I don't know. <laughs> Other than the music. But, yeah, I thought the, fu- the when they get to Canada, I liked how they just fast forward a trip to Canada and they're like partying and then apparently no one needed to check in with the Canadian Mounties. They're just like, we're the FBI, here we are, let's run. Yeah, in. I was like, how do they have jurisdiction yeah, up there? Just like, <laughs> skip, it's just like, skip, skip, skip. But I thought the, the rest of it was fine and I liked the, um, yeah, I thought the shootout was fun. I I did not. So my big thing with this movie is that I feel like it does a classic mistake of movies that don't realize how good they actually are. Like not that this movie is some masterpiece or something like that. It's pretty good. But like they totally could have ended this movie with Bruce Willis being fished out of the, the water and then being like the bad guy got away, but I'll get him next time. Something like that. And then you have an instant sequel waiting for you. But instead, this movie has to, like, kill the bad guy at the end of it when that's not what makes sense for the movie. Like, we care about the movie because we care about John McClane and we care about um, the Sam Jackson character. And as long as Bruce Willis makes that phone call at the end of the movie, that's the important thing for his character. You can leave this big dangling thread that moves John McClane through the world and then have him be in another movie. Like, I would have loved Die Hard 4 if that was him hunting down the bad guy from this movie, but instead they, like, feel like they have to tie everything up at the end when I didn't need that resolution. I didn't need the bad guy to get his comeuppance at the mm-hmm. end of this movie, but maybe that's, like, a 90s thing and 80s thing. Yeah, maybe, have I to mean... end it. I don't know what Jeremy Irons was doing at the time, but... Lion King. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. I mean, after that, so... <laughs> uh... Man, him and Lion King. That was great. I was like, well, we were talking Best about, about what, other, what other things, what other movies he was in. Because he was in um, some stuff recently. And uh, I was like... He's in the Batman vs. Superman and Justice League. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, I wonder what else he was in at the time. And I was like, oh, yeah. He was the voice of Scar. Lion yeah. King. Yep. But, so I don't know. Maybe he didn't want to do more movies. Maybe he was like, you know, I don't want to sign on to multiple movie contracts. Don't don't spoil me if he secretly comes back. They make like a robo yeah. assignment. I mean, there is a very studly actor in Die Hard Four that we would have missed out on. Probably. Oh, um, I kind of was thinking it would be fun if Alan Rickman came back to play his own brother, but like with a mustache or something, <laughs> featuring Madeline Rickman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, because, because I Rallin Ickman. Because you don't um, you don't see him for a long time. You just yeah. hear his voice and. I knew it wasn't him, obviously, but I was like, oh, it'd be kind of funny if, like, it ends up being, surprise, it's him, and it's like, I killed you, and it's like, that was my brother. He's wearing, like, a green shirt and overall, yeah. so. Yes. Yeah, exactly. He's like the Luigi Slightly version. taller. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just didn't need, I didn't need the bad guy to die at the end of this movie. I really didn't. I, I needed, like, I needed John McClane to resolve the stuff with his wife, because that's, like, mm. He doesn't have a very big character arc throughout this entire movie. Not that, like, in an action movie you have to have a deep character arc, but you have to have something so you check the box. Mm -hmm. And they barely checked the box, but they didn't really, like, emphasize that a whole lot. And I feel like they could have really driven home how, like, rewarding Sam Jackson's relationship is with his nephews and how Bruce Willis is missing out on his relationship with his kids and his wife. So I I wish that they had kind of hammered that home a little bit more, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, did he really resolve things, though? Because I thought he left her hanging, and then at the end, was it, who was it? Somebody was like, oh, she'll she'll get over it. Like, yeah. So I don't know if we actually experience a resolution. No, we don't. That was kind of unsatisfying. That was one of the things that I found unsatisfying about that last, like, ten minutes. It's like, 
his whole shootout with the helicopter doesn't make any sense to me. Like, the fact that he's able to hit the power line with his bullet. <laughs> it's like, no fucking yeah. way. No fucking way. And then, yeah. So many things about that ending sequence. And apparently, so we're going to talk about this in a minute, but that wasn't the original ending. And so the director apparently was like, oh, I know that this movie is going to be rated R, so we're going to throw in a sex scene with this reshoot that we have to do anyways. So that's why they had that sex scene in there, because they're like, it's already going to be rated R. Might as well do that, which I don't know how that makes any sense. Hmm. But yeah, there's like a very brief like 10-second sex scene, but it's like almost PG in its yeah, it is very strange. Yeah, it's like not just not that just big of a deal for them to just be like the cops are here. And yeah, like, oh, breaking up this hot romance. Uh, yeah, <laughs> was not a color of night sex scene. No. Let's be real. <laughs> no Bruce Willis. No Bruce Willis were emerging at that point. Nope. <laughs> they weren't coloring that night, but so the alternate ending. Which yep. I read about online before I watched it. It's on YouTube. There's actually two alternate things. Whoa. One of which was never filmed. Oh, okay. Okay, um, then I didn't know that. But the other one is the one you can find on YouTube. And that one has uh, Simon getting away and then time passing and then Bruce Willis showing up and catching him. Yeah. And then going through kind of like a McLean says reversal where he asks all these questions. And I know it was it wasn't edited, it wasn't produced in the way that they would have produced something for the final take, but it just felt very awkward with a lot of like, here's some exposition while I fill you in on all these pothole or you know story beats to catch you up. And I was like, because I started watching it and I was like, are they going to do just a title card of five years later, John McClane gets fired and mm-hmm. he, you know <laughs> blah 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 blah. But nope, they just he <laughs> just <laughs> says it all. <laughs> Yeah, I so so. Did you not really like the ending no, of the, the alternate like the ending? ending no. Yeah, I think I did like the alternate ending a little bit more um, than the original, just because the I liked that they brought it back to the the Simon Says element of the beginning of this movie because it feels like the Simon Says element is really thrown away way too fast. Like I wanted more mind games between Bruce Willis and Simon and that's like what the first half of the movie is and then they just chuck that away. That's why I feel like this movie with the first like 50 minutes of it being directly that guy's script for Simon Says, I feel like that's really something that shows up throughout the movie because they drop that whole um, motif about when they start robbing the Federal Reserve and then it just becomes a totally different movie. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, less the vengeance and more just we want this gold after all. Yeah. And then there's like a loose plot about how they're just going to blow up the gold to destroy the Western economies. Yeah. Um, and I was like, if people were today to actually rob the gold that we use to back our currency, would anyone even notice? I mean, it's like you're robbing the Bitcoins. Yeah, I I don't know because money's like all made up anyways. Like yeah. It's... I think we've moved beyond the fact that we need something to, to, bank, to back our currencies. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't know. That had less weight to me. But then it was like such Imagine a quick... Imagine Die Hard like, getting made today, and he's like, I'm going to rob seven, 17 trillion Dogecoin. <laughs> <laughs> and like, well, and he... And then it's just like, he steals all this gold, and you're like, okay, he wants gold. And then it's like, to destroy the Western Empire. And you're like, what? And then it's like, just kidding. And I'm like, what? It was such yeah. a fast, like... And then somehow Iran was able to hire him to blow up yeah. all that money. 
which means that Iran would have had to have paid him more money than the money that is in the Federal Reserve in order for him to do that. And he also has to hire all those guys and those trucks and those tanks and everything. And it's like, how much money is he? I feel like he's like a small business owner at that point. It's like, I can barely make ends meet. Sure, I'm making $140 billion at the top, but all these expenses are adding up. And like, I got to buy all this bunker. I got to buy all this bomb stuff. I got to pay all these German guys and for their American English classes. And I got to pay for all yeah. these guns and bullets and everything. Like, he's not coming out on top after that. That's going to cost at least $100 billion, So um, The other alternate ending that was never filmed was one where they slipped the briefcase bomb onto the getaway vehicle that Simon ends up having. Oh, yeah. And there's just a scene where Simon is like, does anybody have a four-gallon jug? <laughs> <laughs> so about that, there's a, there's a scene, there's the puzzle where they have to fill four gallons and it is just a very absurd, the two of Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson arguing about water volume math. Yeah, I felt in it was a like a fountain in Central Park. I felt it was like a Bioware like puzzle in the middle of this movie. <laughs> like made no, no, sense. no scale would be so sensitive, and yet the fact that they fill up those unmarked jugs to the perfect amount. I'm yep. like, this is absurd. Nope, nope, no way. This is it's like, like a theoretical problem, not a real world this problem. This like some escape room guy was like, I'm tired of making movies. I just got to finish this one. I can go start making <laughs> escape rooms. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, anything else we want to talk about before we wrap this movie discussion up? Stacey, um, any final thoughts? I wrote down in my notes, too long, the middle is too long, the end is too long. And I feel like that is, uh, that's pretty accurate. You mean like the three endings? Three endings, yeah. This movie is like Lord of the Rings Return of the King. And it, yeah. uh, I think if it had just ended with the aqueduct chase and just totally cut the boat in the Canada scene out. Or maybe just go straight from aqueduct to Canada. Yeah. And skip the boat entirely. Yeah. That would have been good. This movie's just like, it's just a wee bit too long. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry. They got the zoomies. Yeah, they're uh, excited to be on. I the, was trying this. to pet him over here to distract him. Mm. You talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> no. I do not ever want to hear that again. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're going to move on to talk about our Star Trek connections. Before we do, Stacy, do you have a favorite Star Trek? Did you watch my Star Trek growing up? I did not. Okay. Did you watch any of the movies or anything? Yeah, like um, new movies? Only the ones with the lesser attractive Chris's. Chris Pine? Yes. I'm sorry, the lesser attractive Chris's? Yes. You're I calling only, our number one Chris? Or my number I only one Chris? bring this up because we have had full-on arguments about what, who the most attractive Chris is. He's number three for me. Is Chris Hemsworth the most attractive for you or Chris yeah. Evans? I brought in my girlfriends to like go over this. So, so Chris Chris Hemsworth is like the most attractive conventionally, but Chris Pine has like a character behind a smile, whereas Chris Evans, like Chris Hemsworth, like if we're talking about like, like let's uh let's take like any three Chris's, um, and we do like the fuck Mary kill, like fuck Hemsworth, Mary Pine kill Brad. I feel like that's pretty... Uh, yeah. Any I, any of the Chris's, I yes. must say I agree with that one, actually. Like, 
Like, as far as that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Pine seems like a good guy you'd want to settle down with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I know that if I was cold and I needed some firewood chopped at zero degree weather, Pine would go chop it for me. Hemsworth would be like, how about I just cuddle you? And I'd be like, I want fire! Like, <laughs> but if I need somebody to, like, you know, show me a good time, Hemsworth, so... Yeah, maybe. I think Hemsworth maybe would be looking for me to show him a good time. Chris Evans, on the other hand, my favorite Chris... He'd be a little more uh, Chris Evans. Is Chris Evans a also a Mary out of those, or is he a fuck? Man, I don't know. That's a hard one. I think I might go fuck and stay with <laughs> stay with Pine. Stay with Pine for long term relationships. But then, so now now you have two Chris's on the fuck spectrum. Which one is the higher of the fuck? I don't know. I'd have to like see him side to side, butt to butt. One of them has America's <laughs> ass, though. <laughs> and that's Chris Evans. <laughs> I just knew we were going to get me snorted laughing at yep. one point. I can't believe that you would even consider Evans over Hemsworth for a fuck, though. That's surprising to me. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think he's got a little more to him. I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hemsworth is a handsome-looking guy, so... <laughs> On that note... We have several Star Trek connections for this movie. None of them are Chris. Though. Oh boy, do we. None of them are Chris. Josh, do you want to talk about some of them? Uh, yeah, I definitely looked these up beforehand. Oh, um, if you didn't, I can. Yeah, I didn't. You can oh, go for it. Okay, so we have three that I found. And I didn't dig that deep, because once I found three, I thought, well, that's probably good. So Bob Miner uh, is the first one. And he is a stunt actor in Die Hard, and he plays a Klingon in Star Trek. He is in some Deep Space Nine. All these, I believe, are from Deep Space Nine. Nice. One of them might be from Voyager. I could be wrong. Yes, one of them is from Voyager. Uh, this was a play. He plays a Klingon in Deep Space Nine. The next one is a man named John Duman, Doman, who plays a Bajoran in Deep Space Nine. Oh, right. And I think he's just one of the background actors. No, he's like a main character in that episode. No, 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 I'm talking about in Die Hard. Oh, in Die Hard? Yeah, he yeah. is a background actor. Yeah, I think he's just a background actor in Die Hard. But yeah, so he plays the Bajoran in uh, some Deep Space Nine. He, he's in like a really great episode, too, that like analyzes... Because um, Deep Space Nine came out during the time when we could talk about terrorism a little bit more openly, mm. and you could show terrorism to be the nuanced thing that it is because terrorism is labeled that by the people who don't want it um yeah. so like freedom fighter versus terrorism is something that they really and analyze in terrorism that can plays a big role in, in Disney's yeah for sure role. for sure um and then the third one is a guy named james sato who plays korean store owner in die hard which i don't specifically remember but was must have been a fairly small role mm-hmm. and then he plays a uh, Star Trek Voyager episode called the episode titled The 37s which is an episode that has Amelia Earhart if you're familiar with that episode of uh, Star Trek Voyager but basically an alien abducts a bunch of people from Earth and freezes them and the crew of the Star Trek Voyager finds them and one of them is this Japanese fighter pilot played by James Sato interestingly enough this character, his Memory Alpha page, which if you're not familiar, Memory Alpha is the IMDb specifically for Star Trek, 
Wikipedia specifically for Star Trek characters, and his name was typo on his page. It was instead of Sato, S A I T O, it was in one spot on the page, S A L T O. So I got to create a Memory Alpha account <laughs> under <laughs> under the Willisway Pod <laughs> username and correct the typo. <laughs> which is the first time I've had to do that for this podcast. Wow. So I felt like that was a remarkable moment. You'll have to share the password with me. Is it just our Google account password? or is uh, it? I think so. I think okay. So. I okay. could be wrong, but I think so. Okay. Great. So now if I ever need to edit, I know, yeah. <laughs> know where to yep. go. Exactly. Really, we're holding uh, Gene Roddenberry accountable with our uh, mm-hmm. our work. So yeah. Doing Lloyd's work. Bruce Willis and his uh, love of corrections gets me going. <laughs> Does it now? I don't know if I want to hear any more about that. Um, let's talk about the box office for this movie. Um, I'm uh, loading up the numbers right now. I am going to go off my memory while this loads and say this movie had a budget of $90 million, which is pretty large. I think it's actually the largest budget out of any movie that we've covered so far. Yeah, it is the largest budget. The second largest one out of all the movies we've covered was actually Die Hard 2 with $70 million. So they got an extra $20 million for this movie. And this movie, Worldwide Box Office, uh, did pretty great. Although, interestingly enough, it was like number 10 in the U.S. It did not do great in the U.S. at all. Oh, wow. But worldwide, it did um, $366.1 million. So it ended up bringing back like four times its investment, which is, I think, better than... It did about on par with the first one as far as investment to end result. It actually did a tiny bit better than the first one um, percentage-wise. But obviously it's no look who's talking as far as investment mm. results. Nothing, but still impressive. Is. Yeah. Still, still very, very impressive. And obviously they were able to make more movies. But I think that the lukewarm U.S. response really kind of stunted the growth for the, the franchise, at least on, in the States. And then uh, it yeah, get, got more popular. Because it was a long time. I think maybe Bruce Willis had to do other action movies and revitalize the action movie genre because 12 years is a long time before they make another one. It's so long, yeah. yeah. And this movie had, like, even, I think, a five-year difference between Die Hard 2, because wasn't it So Die Hard 2 was pretty soon after Die Hard 1. Yeah, it felt like it was, like, right away. Yeah, because he he did, like, Die Hard, In Country, Luke Who's Talking, then Die Hard 2. Yeah, and it was in 1990, so five years, and that that felt like a really big yeah. difference. I don't, I don't have the, the details. Maybe you know this, but this movie to me felt, and I guess, I guess all of them, but they definitely felt like I saw the budget on screen. Mm-hmm. This movie took place, like we said, all over New York. There's yeah. a lot of explosions, a, a lot, lot of, of set extras. Pieces. Yeah, a lot of extras. A lot of the explosions are in outside New York, so they couldn't do it on a soundstage. They had you to, had do to it. shut down the street and everything. They had to do it somewhere outside in New York or have boats going, you know, stuff on bridges, Central Park. Yeah. A lot of scenes, a lot of sets. I don't think this movie was just a Bruce Willis taking $30 million of a $90 million pay cut. No. I think this movie, to me, shows its budget. Yeah, although apparently the reshoot was really expensive. Oh, really? Yeah, because they had to get all the principal actors yeah. back yeah. for that. So for that last, like, ten-minute sequence in Canada. So. It wouldn't surprise me if that was, like, eight or seven million just alone to do that. But apparently the original ending just tested poorly with audiences, so they had to redo it. Do you know 
Um, is the Rotten Tomatoes score for this one a lot lower than the other two? It's the lowest of the diehards so far. Um, it was a uh, 59% for that one, whereas uh, Die Hard 2 was, I think, like 60-something. Uh, 69, nice. And then uh, Die Hard 1 was 94%. So, wow. yeah. Wow. I, yeah, find that surprising. Find that surprising. Yeah, I, I think that the critics might have just been burned out. I think we've talked about this before, but I think critics are pretty... They they respond a lot to what's going on at the time, and so if there's like a ton of superhero movies, for instance, the mm-hmm. critics are going to get tired of it, and then it takes a really big, important superhero movie to like really overcome that and then get mm-hmm. a super super positive critical reception. And I think it was like that with the action movies at the time. I the only review I really paid attention to for this movie was Roger Ebert's review, and he mm-hmm. gives the movie three stars, and he basically said. It's what it says on the tin. It was yeah. an action movie, and it was an action movie. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I feel. I was like, it. I was going in looking for an action movie, and it provided me exactly what I wanted. Yeah, totally. All right, it's time now to rank this movie among our other movies. Now, this is our 20th movie. That's a big milestone. That's one-fifth of 100. And it's one-sixth of 120. And it's twice 10. And it's... Four times five. Yeah, and it's 20 times one. Yeah, and you said that homeschoolers were stupid, so. (laughs) (laughs) So, just to remind everyone, I have the first Die Hard at number two, and the second Die Hard at number five. Josh has the first Die Hard at number two, and the second Die Hard at number ten. I did not like the second one. So, let's go to Stacy. You haven't seen all 20 of these movies, I don't believe, but... Of these 20 movies that we've done so far, are there any that you enjoyed more than this? I knew that Die Hard 3 has a special place in your heart, and even after even after rewatching it, it lived up to your memories. Is Die Hard 3 probably your favorite Bruce Willis movie of the ones on this list? Yeah, I think it's hard between that one and, I mean, to be honest, The Last Boy Scout is another movie I watched many a time growing up. Um, so, I mean, between that one and Die Hard and Die Hard 3, it's a little challenging to pick which one comes first, you know? I, I'm not a Pulp Fiction fan. I know, Gasp. Um, nah, not Gasp. I think that there's a lot of wrong stuff with that movie. It's an acquired taste. I'm not a Quentin Tarantino gal. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think in terms of my happy memories, I might put it up there at number one, really. Okay. Look Who's Talking didn't surprise you at a left field, or <laughs> Look Who's Talking too? I think was actually your favorite one. That that's not. <laughs> <laughs> Look Who's Talking too was her favorite. I'm sorry. I, I liked it more than you all, but also I think that's nostalgia. Mm. I think I wanted to be that kid being chased around by a, uh, you know, John Travolta. Yes. I mean, I I would love to be chased around by young John Travolta. Yeah. I just didn't know that was an option. <laughs> so, Josh. Yep. Of the 20 movies, you break this movie of Bruce Will with two L's. Yep. Where would you put this on your list? So, I'm going to put this movie... I, I went back and forth between whether or not I was going to put this movie above Hudson Hawk or below Hudson Hawk, but I knew that it was like within that range right from the get-go. Um, 
I am going to rank it below Hudson Hawk. And the main reason is that Hudson Hawk is about 30 minutes shorter than this movie. Mm. So I feel like they both itch my, like, I like action movies. I like fun. I like heightened reality. Um, Hudson Hawk is just a much more succinct movie than this movie is. Not that they're, like, even super similar movies. It's just that of my itches regarding Bruce Willis, I feel like they both scratch about the same amount. But Hudson Hawk, it's just like it's tighter runtime. Really, I think plays well in for the movie. So I'm gonna rank it at my number four, right behind Hudson Hawk. The Hudson right Hawk above Nobody, Nobody's Fool. That's the Hudson Hawk cream uh, really, really did its job. Yeah, the the cream. The North Wind of the Hudson. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, for all your itches, you got a lot of itches. Bruce Willis itches. You're, you're referencing your itches a lot tonight. I don't know what's. Going I feel on. like you're the only one saying the word itch. I've never said itch before oh, in my oh, life. Okay. Anyways, I also really loved Hudson Hawk, and I forgot about that one, so yeah. I'm just going to add that in there. I hear what you're saying with regards to Hudson Hawk being a more succinct and fun movie to watch, but I, even though this movie was long, and I normally don't, I normally get really antsy at the end of long movies and can't stand longer movies, didn't totally feel that way while watching it. It wasn't until afterwards, and I was like, man, that ending was a bit of a drag. I was completely in it, but I def- I like the ending more than you. So I think I'm going to rank it above Hudson Hawk at number three. I oh, don't, wow. I don't think I actually said earlier, but I would give this movie a Bruce Willie. You would. Two L's and an I. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of letters. Yeah. So you've tied it with Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. And I, I mean, but you've rated a two below Pulp Fiction. Well, well, we didn't. Uh, we didn't rank Bruce. Uh, we didn't rank Die Hard yet. But that would we, also we that had, would probably also be a Bruce Willie for me. Yeah, we didn't know what we had back with Die yeah. Hard. Like it's his third movie, and then he comes out with like probably one of the best ones of his career. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. What are the odds? I still think. I mean, we've talked about this before about how. Our scale is not a linear scale. There's, no. like, massive gaps in the middle there. Yeah. And even at the top. But Die Hard, by far and away, very good movie. Die yeah. Hard 3, still a good movie, but nowhere near Die Hard 2, even though they're right next to each other in this list. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm also of the opinion, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm saving my Bruce Willis shot for, a very, for very specific moments. And... Will not just be rating a thing of Bruce Willis out of Bruce Willis, even if I really like it. So I am not saving mine for anything specific. I'm waiting to just see if there's one that's gonna it's gonna scratch that Bruce Willis itch um, in the perfect way, and then I'll rank it a a Bruce Willis out of a Bruce Willis. But we'll see. With that, it's uh, time for everyone's favorite part of this podcast. Everyone's favorite part of this podcast. Oh my god, I just realized we're not even going to have to edit and do fancy syncing up because we could say it at the same time because we're in person. Well, we could. Or we could say it off <laughs> just a little bit just to screw each other. Let's not say we did. Okay. Right. <laughs> Stacey, do you know what time it is? Yes. Do you know? Well, what time is it? Willis time. <laughs> Good answer. I feel like that's probably that's been Kendrick's lost. watch now reads yeah. Willis time. So. Yeah, my my uh, watch that has two times. That's a callback to no. Nobody's uh, fool. Nobody's, nobody's fool. fool. <laughs> I was like, it's not North. It's not striking. It's not Club Nobody's fool. Nobody's fool. He has a watch. 
None of us are fools. You're right. Um, okay, it is time for the Wheel of Willis. And every time we spin the Wheel of Willis, we say the same thing. In sync, every time we say, Whisk that wheel! All right. Do you see more Bruce Willis butt or Bruce Willis feet in this movie? <laughs> Which is an interesting question because Bruce Willis's feet do play a role in previous Die Hard movies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Though none of uh, I don't think he has that problem in this. I don't think he has. Uh, feet but in he this does movie. take his pants off at the beginning of the movie. Something he does. Like Bruce Willis butt. Well, but you, you have a sign in front of it. Yeah, but it's still closest to. It's the closest of the two, probably. Doesn't he not have shoes on? Yeah, though? that's why I was gonna say pick, I was gonna pick feet for that. Wait, when does he have not have shoes on? At the same point. Yeah. But you don't see his feet though. But he does make a comment when he's in the van taking his clothes off, and he's like, "You're the only person than my wife who's seen me change in the back of a police van, or whatever his line is." Which, like, is so stupid. That whole segment. I was like, "What? What? What?" <laughs> I'm John McClane, and I'm a fucking asshole. Anyways, here's my character development. Oh man. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say feet for this movie. All right. Yeah. Is that what you say too, Stacey? Mm-hmm. Feet. All right. I'm all, I'm sticking with butts. <laughs> you can stick with butts all you want, yeah. but stick up butts. Stick up butts. <laughs> ay yeah yeah. I mean, you did call him a toilet bug at one point. So oh yeah, good point. There is a butt connection here. Good point. Of. That was when uh, Simon is saying, talking about John McClane, and his boss is like, why do you care so much about John McClane? He's a toilet bug. Is that what that's <laughs> yeah. right now? Yeah. That's a great part. Thank you for listening to Where There's a Willis, There's a Way. You can follow us at Willis Waypod on Twitter. Email us at WillisWaypod at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. Out in the field of podcasts. Out in Podcast Lake. Up on Podcast Mountain. You can find us. You can go fishing for podcasts and probably catch us. Yeah, it's true. Thank you so much, Stacy, for joining us for this movie. I've really been looking forward to this. I know when we started this podcast and I was like, hey, do you want to guest host on this podcast that we're doing? And you're like, no, not really. And I said, please. And you said, all right, but I have to do Die Hard 3. And then I was like, cool. And then I looked and I was like, oh man, that's 20 episodes away. So I've just been... Who knows if we'll even be around then. Yeah. Yeah. I've been biding my time, but here you are. Thanks for holding out for me. Yeah, you bet. He saved his Bruce Willie for you. (laughs) Oh God. Uh, Maybe he'll come back. I don't know. Do you have another Bruce Willis movie that we haven't gotten to that... Um, Show me the list. I like The Kid, even though it's, I don't recall it being a good movie. I think it's just another, you know. Well, not all of these movies have been oh, good Bandits. movies. Oh, Bandits. Bandits. I was telling him about Bandits earlier. So one thing that I didn't know when I started this, but I know now, is I don't know anything about Bruce Willis, and she knows a lot about Bruce Willis. Because <laughs> I've seen maybe two movies we've done so far, and she's seen a lot of them. Yeah, I, I have seen none of the movies that we've covered wow. so far. I don't think we've gotten to a single movie that I've seen. Is that true? Am I am I a silly Billy? We're gonna scroll up and we're gonna look at that. Oh no, I'd seen Pulp Fiction. Yes. Pulp Fiction is the only movie on this list so far that I had seen before it. I had seen Die Hard, I had seen Sunset, and I had seen Pulp Fiction Four. So only three. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> 
So really, Stacy's like the the actual. Yeah, she's seen here. Die Hard. Yeah. She'd seen Look Who's Talking. She had seen Look Who's Talking too, because she said she had nostalgia mm-hmm. for she'd it. She'd seen Last Boy Scout. Wow. Maybe you should be writing this podcast, and I should be <laughs> guesting on it. <laughs> That'd be great. Well, thanks for having me. Yep, you bet. Anytime. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Um, I mean, I want to also just tell everybody to go to DK Bakes because he joined for Pulp Fiction, and I I want to support that awesome dude with his great baking magic. Nice yeah. call out. I yeah. love some uh, getting me some DK Bakes. I wonder if he can make us a uh, cookie that he'll send us. Mm. A Willis-shaped cookie? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I'd go for that. Um, I right. need a bite of Willis. Yeah. I have a Bruce Willis-shaped cookie. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, you can find me on Twitter at kmartinix. That's spelled K-M-A-R-T-I-N-I-X. And you can find me on Twitter at Josh and Carter. Next time, we're going to be covering 12 Monkeys. That's another movie I've seen, so we'll bump my count up a little bit more. I haven't seen the first 11. Am I supposed to watch that yeah, beforehand? Yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're also supposed to watch the seven seasons of a TV show that spawned off the <laughs> Okay, sounds Which good. loops back around. I got a lot of watching to do before monkey. next week. Yeah, you gotta get work it And then you have the prequel, Zero Monkeys. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then the 13th monkey. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Goodbye. Oh, yes, it's fun time. Fun time. Fun time. Fun time. Let me know if It's fun time. Shake time. Break time. It's fun time. You all Oh, I like how you called it Die Hard 3 in the Google Doc instead of... Uh, I didn't want to type its whatever. proper name. Yeah. Vengeance has too many E's and A's in yeah. it somehow. I always like, spell it wrong. What the hell are you guys doing? Nobody's going to go see your movie if they can't spell it. I always spell it wrong. In my notes, I just called it W-A-V. You know, that's one way to go about it. Just <laughs> oh, completely I circumvent the whole issue. I, you said W-A-V, but I definitely heard V-A-G. <laughs> <laughs> Die hard veg. <laughs> uh, this is like the least amount of woman and uh, that is true. Woman characters in any Die Hard movie, I think. This is like the least amount of women in any movie. Period. I'm pretty sure there's like three women in that entire movie, and like two of them are extras. Yeah, I mean, there's some badass women who are just yelling though a lot. Like that one woman who's basically like my client. Oh yeah, the um woman. Oh, no, she's the like, woman I'm... who works at the police station. Yeah, it's like I'm. Gonna... Yeah. Oh no.